Welcome to the sixth episode of the Product Weekend Podcast Season 2, powered by Productize. This is where we meet the inspiring people behind great products. My name is João Moita, and today we have with us Luís Gonçalves, founder and CEO at Evolution for All. Luís is an entrepreneur at heart, and he has an extensive career in software development with a strong focus on organizational change, helping companies adapt in order to create better digital products. Besides being the founder at Evolution for All, Luis is also a sports person, writer, and podcast host. In this conversation, we talked about his career, agile coaching, the adapt methodology, and how he has grown his consulting and software development businesses. By the end of the episode, you have books and travel recommendations from him. I hope you enjoyed the episode. What were your hobbies when you were a teenager? So, I, I tried several things. But there were three things that I I loved the most. One was rowing. Rowing. Yes. Mm-hmm. So when I was 15, 16, I was um, practicing it in Alcantara, here, quite close. Cool. Second like one. In playing it in competitions? Rowing. No. No, just, just for fun. For fun. Cool. I was not good enough. <laughs> it was just, uh, was just for, for, for fun. But, but if, if you think about it, uh, every Tuesday was a, a running day. Okay. And every Tuesday we were running 20 kilometers. At that time, I did not realize how long we were actually running. Hmm. But nowadays I look back and say, well, every Tuesday, 20 kilometers. I don't, I don't remember. I cannot even run like 10 now. <laughs> I believe so. No, but it was a, a really, really good sport. Nice. The second one was Kung Fu. So cool. I practiced Kung Fu when I was in university. Mm-hmm. And the third one is something that I'm coming back to it after 20 years. So I'll start next week. Water polo. Water polo. Yeah. So nice. 20 years ago. So I was actually doing Kung Fu in the evening, water polo in the morning, or actually lunchtime. Yeah. And um, I really miss it. I tried it when, when I moved to Finland. Mm-hmm. I, I, I tried it, but there was only one one team at the time. I tried it. And I at that time, I did not realize why they were so good. So <laughs> I, I, I went to play with them, and, and, and I realized they were really good. Mm-hmm. And I found out later on, they were like the Scandinavia champions. Okay. So I, I, was, so you're I was with the best. <laughs> yeah, I was suffering quite a lot. Um, cool. Yeah, but after 20 years, so I'm back and, and, and it's something that I, I really want to do it again because it's a sport that I love. It's, it's very, very physical. Um, it gives you huge preparation. Mm-hmm. And, nice. um, and of course, football. I think all Portuguese love football. Yeah. I mean, the combination of all those sports, you were always in shape. For yeah, sure. <laughs> now that I'm not in, in great shape, but uh, when I was in university, uh, I was in a pretty good shape, I say. Cool. And like before university, let's say your high school years, did you already have an idea of what you'd like to do for a living? Yes. So I had an idea and actually turned out to be completely different. <laughs> But as always, uh, but the base was was and it's still the same. So I was very influenced by my brother. I have an older brother, six years older than mm-hmm. me. Uh, so when I was twelve, he entered the university. So I was okay. very very influenced by him, and he, he finished um, telecommunications. Engineer, okay. telecommunication, engineer tele- of telecommunication. So that was your fir- it was through your brother that you had the first contact with like engineering yes, and technology. Yes. yes. Mm-hmm. Um so then during all these years I saw my brother coming home with, with his colleagues and, and doing all this working group mm-hmm. working and so on. 
So then I say, oh, maybe this is an interesting thing. So then I enter university and I join uh, telecommunications. But then I realized that I hate it hmm. because the, the part that I was actually enjoying, see, my brother was all these microprocessors part and the programming part. Okay, so more on the software part. On the software part. But the, the thing is, my brother had his previous degree was half telecommunication, half computer science. Okay. And I enjoyed the computer science part, but I was misled led mm-hmm. by, by what I saw. So I entered in telecommunication. So I was two years in telecommunication. Then I changed to computer science. Okay. But yeah, mm-hmm. I, I was since pretty early age. I, I knew that Already I was coming to. That you're going to technology, to, yeah, software. technology, something like that. Yes. Cool. And back then, did you see yourself more as a tech guy or a business guy? Were you like it's strange into- because my entire life I always knew that at some point I would have a business. Hmm. Okay. Okay. That's it was something it was something that was far, far away, but somehow inside of me like I knew that I would day. I would start mm-hmm. a business at some some point. Okay. Cool. Cool. So Already of course it was a very, very blurry idea mm-hmm. because if you are fourteen, fifteen, sixteen, you 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 don't really realize it. At least I did not. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, but you already had that drive, that entrepreneurial mind. Yes, back then. I yeah. think it was a little bit influenced by my my grandfather. He was always like an entrepreneur. Mm-hmm. But okay. um, somehow I, I knew, and it was it's it's strange. My 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 grandfather he was an entrepreneur, but I was not very in contact with him. Mm-hmm. And the rest of the family, no one is an entrepreneur at my place. So mm-hmm. my parents, my father was working in, in 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 Alcatel, and my mom was a teacher. My brother became a teacher. So mm-hmm. okay, I, I did not have much influence from my close from from my close family. So but it was more like the idea of your of your grandfather that inspired yeah. you. Yeah, mm-hmm. and uh, and since since really early ages, I understood that I was not dealing very well with authority. Okay. Okay. So my my mother did a my parents did a brilliant job educating me, but let's say that I was not the easiest one. Mm-hmm. Um but soon I started to realize that I, I, I could not manage authority. Right. Okay. So I could not still today. I, I cannot work for you a, cannot for conform a for no. things that are no. told you no. do it like this just yeah. because I'm saying yeah. it. Yeah. So actually I was yeah. fired three times hmm. because some bosses told me you don't understand, but I'm asking you to do it. And I said, no, I'm not going to do it if you don't explain me hmm. what, what I need to do in Germany. That doesn't work that well. So it's a very hierarchical hmm. yeah, culture. Um, but yeah, cool. so even today, I, I, a lot of people ask me, why did you start your company? The biggest reason was freedom mm-hmm. and to, because I, I, I don't want to follow a boss. Okay. Okay. So following a, a customer, it's very different. Most of the times we need to do a lot of things that we are not really that happy, mm-hmm. but it's different because at the end of the day, I have the freedom to tell you or to tell him, her, Sorry, I'm not interested. Please pick yeah, up another I company. I want to work with you. Yeah. I can work with other clients. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. That's cool. So let's go a bit like chronologically through your your experience. How was your first work experience? Did you end up actually coding professionally? Yes. Yeah. So my first experience was was in Portugal. So um, I, I don't remember anymore. 2003, 2004. I I went a couple of months, three months. 
to Finland as an Erasmus student. Mm-hmm. And then I came back and, and I really understood at that time I was in the university. I was in Tuna and I was drinking and partying a lot until mm-hmm. I went to Finland and I started to realize how much money I was losing per month. Right. Mm-hmm. So I started to, to check salaries and so on. And I said, mm, maybe it's time for me to really do something with my life. So when I came back from Finland, I put it inside of myself that I needed to finish the degree as soon as possible. Right. So I, I came back to Portugal. One year was was what was, I think it was one year. That was what I, I, I needed to finish. Mm-hmm. So I came back to finish and, and I knew already that I would go back to Finland. But during that year, I I... I got a job. Mm-hmm. I got a job because I wanted to get money to save money so cool. that I could go back to, to Finland because I knew that I would not get a job immediately. So mm-hmm. I would need to have some money in my bank. So cool. yes, I, I, I got a software engineer job at that time. I think it was 2005. I think if I'm not mistaken, 2004, mm-hmm. I don't remember anymore. But yes, I, I, I was doing, um, a very interesting project or several projects. I still remember the first interview with the customer still today. The guy told me in my face, you really don't know anything about it, but we are so desperate that we will take a <laughs> chance with you. Yeah, I guess and, the, uh, the software industry job market is still very much like that. Yeah, right? so the customer really told me on my face, we really don't have a clue about anything, but we are so <laughs> desperate. We really need that people that code. We will try it because we believe that um, you have the personality to learn. And actually right. turned out to be that the same guy uh, at the end of the project told me and said, Congratulations, you did a brilliant job. We are really happy to have you. And then I ended up, even within that year, in several other companies for the same customer, hmm. um, helping them to, to, to do something, to do some really interesting projects. And if I'm not mistaken, the Hospital Santa Maria website is, is still the site that I left hmm. up and running with that team. So cool. it was really, really interesting you project. So yeah, one year, one, wor- one year working. As a software engineer, then mm-hmm. I went to Finland. Yeah. And then I was. And why working. was that? Why did you want to go back to Finland? Or maybe why did you go to Finland in the first place? Well, I went to Finland to be very transparent because there was two options, Germany and Finland. Mm-hmm. And at that time, I did not find Germany attractive at all. So okay. I went to Finland. And, um, and then you fell in love with the country? No, I hated the country, actually. <laughs> but uh, I, I loved. You saw what opportunities. I, I learned. I, I, I loved. I fell in love for for the technology, right. the industry, right? So mm-hmm. I went there as an Erasmus to finish to to finish uh, to help a guy to finish his his master's thesis. It was very interesting. So it was it was a project of domotic, so meaning house okay. intelligence stuff. Mm-hmm. So the guy was very very good with the, the hardware, but he did not have any clue with the software. So mm-hmm. me and my colleague went there and we went directly to that project to cool. to super cool. to produce the whole software to c- control the shutters. It was a module to control shutters at home. Nice. And the most interesting part is it was a master's thesis, but they had already agreement with the industry. So we knew okay. that mm-hmm. our product, our software, our, our product, yeah, our software, our code, our work would be used in the That's industry. A very right? good motivator. Yeah. I guess like. It's very demotivating when you are in university doing all these things just for the sake of doing yeah. it. You see no application. In, in Finland, at least my experience, I'm not saying it's always the same, but I, I, I studied in Erasmus and then I ended up later on 
taking a master, it was always very connected to the industry. Cool. So it's, mm-hmm. it's very practical, yeah. right? So that's why I really enjoyed the, the educational system in, in, in Finland. Uh-huh. But yeah, and then I saw a lot of opportunities. I came back to Portugal. Um, it was not because of the crisis. So a lot of people asked me if it was because of the crisis. No, it was 2005. So Portugal was, mm-hmm. was doing perfect, was doing okay. I was, have, I, I had a really good salary at that time. Mm-hmm. But um, something in me said, no, I want to go. And cool. then, then I finished the degree in Lisbon. I took a plan and I went there. So I did not have anything. I did not have a place to sleep. I did not have friends. I did not have nothing, mm-hmm. literally nothing. I had 5,000 euros on my pocket and a, a luggage. And I went and to for the without, adventure. Yeah, without <laughs> anything. Nice. And you ended up working there at Nokia, right? Yes. So mm-hmm. at that time, Nokia was a monster, right? So I, I, I like to make some jokes that they were actually recruiting everyone that would walk by the street. So they would have most probably a shotgun saying every software developed that walk, would walk in the street. They would <laughs> recruit because they were so they were so so huge and they needed so much engineering. Yeah. So yeah, I ended up in software development in Nokia. Mm, I did a very, very interesting project. Again, that was something very powerful for me. And, and that's what I still remember from, from working abroad. It's everything that you do if you are a little bit lucky in those companies, is that your work ends up in the hands of millions of people, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So at that time, one of the projects was um, the mobile, mobile TV. So okay. it was a very interesting project. Uh, they did not have anyone that would be able to code C Sharp. So I was very strong at C Sharp at that time. So they, they wanted to do an app that they could actually control um, the the streaming on your phone so let me let me explain you have a tv card on your pc at home right and you would watch tv at your mobile phone so the tv card would stream through the internet and all the streaming would end up in your mobile phone hmm. imagine okay. 15, but that almost, was almost 20 years ago but that was before iphone right it was before. much before three, three years before iphone okay okay so we were monster at that time so they did not know any, they did not have any C-sharp skills. So they asked me to do that. So it was a very interesting project. And, and at the end, when I left at that project, you you would have an app and you would have a TV channel at home on your PC, mm-hmm. but you would be able to stream it through the Wi-Fi, through the internet and ended up the, the signal in your phone and you could change channels and everything. So you have a TV on your phone cool. with the, the TV card. Um, so the time where Nokia was ahead of the the competition, yeah. Probably. So it's uh, I I I always mention that I had the most luxurious Christmas parties of my life in ski resorts in hmm. Finland and so on. So <laughs> it was nice. like still a very interesting times. We were Nokia was doing twenty billion a quarter yeah. revenue. So we had ninety three percent market share at that time. So it was it's a lot. Was pretty interesting. And you you spent there more than six years did you have it in mind to do a career inside the company well at that time yes uh, i was still quite young so i was mm-hmm. 25 at the time so i still did not realize my true potential um it was very common and my 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 mind at the time was parting quite a lot so mm-hmm. i was not really concerned in doing something more than that right so uh, yeah, I stayed in the company for for almost uh, from 2005 to 2012 because then in 2009 I was I understood what was coming and I saw what was happening with iPhone. So I asked for a transfer to to Berlin 
to a different side of Nokia. So instead of mobile phones, we went to services, Nokia maps at that time. They were acquired a couple of years ago by BMW, Audi and, and Mercedes. Mm-hmm. And at that time, all Nokia was putting all the money in the service. So I just ran away because I understood, okay, the mobile industry mobile and Nokia phones will go away. Will be will be that pretty soon. So I ran mm-hmm. away to the service part. Cool. And um, that's a smart move. Yeah, yeah. And all my friends that called me crazy, they ended up being fired because the problem in Finland is I I predict pretty much what would be happening. So you are a foreigner. Nokia was at that time 35% GDP of the country, so it's huge, mm-hmm. right? So I understood if Nokia goes down, 25% of the GDP of engineers will go into the market. So if you don't speak Finnish, they will not yeah. hire you because they will have so much engineering right. uh, in, in, in the market that they don't have a, a need to hire right. foreigners. So mm-hmm. I understood immediately and Finnish is a very, very hard language. I could not speak it. Mm. So Did you try to learn? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I actually was able to speak better Finnish than German at some point. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's a very, very, very hard language. Right. So I decided, well, I need to... I, I told that at that time my 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 ex-wife, you know, I need to go to Germany. We I'm going there to take us out of from here. Mm-hmm. And that's what I did. Because otherwise we would end up like my colleagues. I know that there are still people struggling after almost 15 years. I know still people that never, ever went recover. back to yeah right. they never recovered because they are jumping from one project to another to another company and they never really got track hmm. on, on on their career yeah and regarding this the, the fact that you spend there like a relevant portion of, of time how do you see this balance between committing to a company in the long term versus like jumping jobs to whatever gives you the the best options i don't believe it's my personal opinion I, I don't believe that society nowadays is is designed in the way that you should stay in the same company for mm-hmm. for many years, um, or at least doing the same job. Okay. Right. So I, I I got an advice from my father many many years ago that he, at some point he was working for Americans and and his boss told him, if you are in the same position for three years, you are wasting your time. Mm-hmm. Right, so the, the idea is after there two, there's nothing more to learn. Yeah, yeah, after every every two, every third day year, you should you should move and should go and learn some new stuff. Right. The problem is, in my opinion, the problem is that trying to build the career inside of the company is the progression is much slower. Mm-hmm. So it's much easier, even from salary point of view. If you're in a big company, yeah. if you're in a small company, it's okay. But if you are in a, in, the, in the bigger company, you have these stupid HR law uh, rules. That you cannot jump two the, levels, blah, 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 blah. They give you all the responsibility, like yeah. happened to me. They give you the responsibility of, of at that time, last, last project I was in Nokia, I had like almost 2 billion euros to, to, to manage, budget to manage. But uh, they were, from HR point of view, I was not a senior, mm-hmm. right? So, and, and that really kind of pissed me off. Hmm. Um, and that's why I say it's very hard to actually build a career, from my point of view, build a, build a career inside right. of the same company it's much easier to go away spend some years in another company then come back with a much higher yeah, yeah. salary position yeah, and so on so plant on. your stories like that yeah. that they go abroad to another abroad not necessarily but to another company yeah. and come back to the same yeah. company like three or four levels yeah yeah it's up. very it's very yeah. common it's very common yeah right and getting into the the specifics of your of your role you you worked for quite some time as scrum master how did you end up in Scrum and why? 
So I ended up as soon as I started in Nokia because Nokia started the whole transformation in 2003. So at that time, every team in Nokia was already doing Kanban or Scrum or some kind of mm-hmm. agile. So it was very easy for me, right? So I, I did, or actually I did not have a choice. Mm-hmm. So I joined Nokia. They were doing already implementing Scrum agility and, and all over the, the place. And then it was just a natural progression. I'm, a, I'm much more talkative than normal software developers. My boss actually at that time was a pretty cool guy. He told me, you know, let's not put you as a software engineer. You do your job, but you are much better with person. Mm-hmm. So let's try to put you more in the role where you can use your personal skills to to help the company. And that's how I ended up in, in as a Scrum Master in 2000, I don't remember, eight, seven, mm-hmm. eight, something like that. And then I went to, when I went to Finland, sorry, to, to Germany, was not really to, to do Scrum Mastering, but they put me as responsible of the whole localization project. So localization for mm-hmm. people that don't know, it's the process of translating and yeah. localizing yeah. the languages to the, to the, to the local markets. So wasn't that already a bit like product management? It was part of the product management. So what mm-hmm. they asked me was, at the time, localization was done at the end of the whole development. Hmm. So imagine you are doing software development for months and months and months, and then the product is ready to go to the market, but you cannot go to the market because you are waiting for all the translations, testing of localization, etc. Yeah. So the cost of delay of that was huge, right? Mm-hmm. So what they asked me was, can you transform the entire localization process instead of you um, doing, or instead of us doing the whole translation at the end, can you do it somehow in an agile way and introduce right. it on the on the on the sprint? In the process. And and that's what I did. So basically I transformed cool. the entire waterfall localization mm-hmm. process to a very agile at the end of the each sprint, the product was already fully localized. Cool. That's, not that's was not tested, so it could not go into production, but mm-hmm. was always one sprint behind. So but right. one sprint behind is much better than twelve months behind. Yeah. So sure. that was my role or where I could actually use my whole agility, know-how. Mm-hmm. And then after that, they, they were, again, put me in another bigger project mm-hmm. as a Scrum Master and Agile Coach. And what's your opinion about Scrum? Do you think it's uh, inherently a good way of developing software or does it depend on the I think on it's one way. Um, I'm not... Uh, like you say, a hippie, agile guy. <laughs> so I'm, right. I was, I was a very religious agile mm-hmm. guy. Nowadays I'm very pragmatic, right. but um, I, I don't care if it's Scrum, if it's Kanban, if it's XP. Mm-hmm. What I'm very strong opinionated is if you are doing software development, you need to use to have a framework. One one of those frameworks. Why? Mm-hmm. Because software development is a very complex world domain. And waterfall does not work in the compl- in the complex domain. So right. call it Scrum, call it XP, mm-hmm. uh, Kanban, whatever. But you need to have one of those methodologies right. for one that's already proven to, yeah. to work. Right. Or if you have the maturity, you can like loosely, right? So you can <laughs> you can uh, exactly can adapt. But mm-hmm. but the problem with adapt is that a lot of people adapt it without understanding what they are doing or they adapt it because they don't want to do the changes that are required, Yeah. right? So yeah. the company does not want to change. I work in That's the cost. a big conversation around Scrum that people try to 
change it a little bit just not to mess up with the current yeah, and structure and they end up losing the the that's the, the benefits point, right so one of the customers that i worked with a couple of years ago and he was a very interesting executive he told me something not me but to the company which is the company needs to adapt to agile it's not agile that needs to adapt to company right so mm-hmm. until that time everyone was oh we cannot do it because we have the rules and we cannot so change the rules yeah right so and that's the problem when people say that they want to adapt Scrum because Scrum does not work. Scrum works, period. Mm-hmm. And when Scrum does not work, it's because your company is working in a crappy way, and you need to change the way how your company is working. Okay. Right. Of course, I'm very strict. That sounds like a religious person. <laughs> yeah, it's what I'm saying, right? Mm-hmm. So yeah, but again, I'm not saying definitely. you need to change everything at the same time, mm-hmm. but you need to start looking at how company is designed and need to start looking at it and start to changing right. little by little and do you have some some way or some things that you look at uh, when you have to choose for a certain structure for a certain company if they should use kanban or scrum or xp so i never advised to use kanban in the beginning mm-hmm. okay that's my personal opinion of course it's it's people that are kanban advocate will tell me that i'm crazy mm-hmm. i see kanban and again that's my personal opinion I see Kanban as an evolution, not an evolution, but a next level of Scrum in, in right. terms of difficulty. Mm-hmm. Okay. And also when you have like more team maturity and when you have team maturity, you're okay. So let me let me start my opinion from restart my opinion. So I mm-hmm. think Scrum is great for every software development team. Okay. Why? Because it has a, a rules, it have it has much it has much more rules than Kanban. Okay, so it's if you have a Scrum Master, it's easier. If you follow mm-hmm. by the book, and if you are religious, if you follow it by the book, you will get results. Period. The problem with Kanban is it has much less rules than than than, than Scrum, mm-hmm. so it's much more principle oriented. Right. And you know, principles you can interpret it as you want, so you can screw mm-hmm. it up very hard. Okay, right. but again, Kanban Scrum is not good for everything, right? So, for example, I always give this example. If you are, for example, in a IT support environment, right? If, if you cannot predict mm-hmm. uh, what's going on, what's within, going to come up tomorrow? Yeah, yeah. Exactly. So if you don't have some kind of stable environment, right? In in an IT support department, I might even believe it's not a complex world; it's a chaotic world. Mm-hmm. So I truly believe that Kanban can be and should be used where you don't have any kind of predictability. Yeah. If you have predictability, Scrum is pretty good. When you are becoming very good at Scrum, then you can go to Kanban, and I think you have some benefits yeah, out be. of it. But if you become really good at Kanban in Scrum, um, you already get a lot of benefits from mm-hmm. from the company point of view. Right. Cool. So you worked for a long time in in Germany. Uh, what were the main differences that you saw in terms of work between Portugal and Germany? <laughs> It's or what, ask, are what are the similarities? similarities? <laughs> um, I really missed to 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 work with Germans because they are very pragmatic, right? So they you they identify might, personally. You identify more with that approach of pragmatism, of way of working. Yes, mm-hmm. society no. Okay, so okay. I. I think I, I, I'm a lucky person because I was able to absorb both cultures, my mm-hmm. culture, Portuguese culture, and, 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 and German culture. So I, I, I usually 
have a joke that my dream is to come back to Portugal and help Portuguese to do not lose this Zenhashka. So mm-hmm. for people that are listening that they don't understand, mm-hmm. Zenhashka is a... And, and cheat yourself. <laughs> yeah. So it's a get shit done, let's say. Yeah. But uh, the mixture of get shit done with the... Um, with the systematization of German mindset, right? So they are mm-hmm. very, very organized, very methodic, very systematic. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, of course, in some cases, become a little bit tricky because they follow When the process. When it becomes too robotic. Yeah, they, and, and they crashing. are very robotic. They yeah. are very robotic. A lot of When times they know, of normal. a lot of times they know that they are not doing the most efficient thing, but doesn't matter because it's what the process tells them to do, mm-hmm. right? But still, I, I really love the way how they work, they are very systematic. They might take some time to decide that something needs to be done, but when they decide that need, something needs to be done, it happens in a very, very fast way. Yeah, It's a very strong economy, so money usually is not the issue. So they are not really concerned with the money. They are much more concerned with the return of investment, Yeah, right? Portuguese is the other way around. So they are always concerned with the money. With they costs. don't have the cost. Mm-hmm. They, and, and Portuguese culture doesn't have a clue about return of investment. So I have mm-hmm. many customers tell me that, yeah, you know, you we believe that you can bring 10x return to us, but it's very expensive, right? Mm-hmm. So, but you are telling me that I can bring 10x? Yeah, yeah, but it's still too expensive. Okay. So mm-hmm. it doesn't make any sense for me. But um, yeah, that's that. The, the biggest thing they they look at the return of investment mm-hmm. they 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 are very pragmatic they are organized and things work simple as that yeah in portugal cool. it's very it's very chaotic mm-hmm. that's well, yeah. that it's good on other aspects yeah right? for personality for culture for tourism it's great mm-hmm. everyone loves it mm-hmm. but um so you identify more with portugal on the personal level and with germany on the professional level. definitely Mm-hmm. So on social part, I'm Portuguese and love to be in Portugal. In in, in the professional part, I love to work with Germany mm-hmm. and, and be in Germany. Yeah. So that's why you decided to come back to Portugal, at least partially. Yeah, I spent my time here. between here and Munich because I need to get my energy from Portugal, from the sun, so from the hot weather. Cool. But yeah, that, I still miss a lot of things in Germany, that's for sure. Mm-hmm. Cool. So going back to the chronology of your career after nokia you worked as an agile coach at avira sap or sap i don't know how they say yeah, it in SAP. english and holiday check all in germany right all in germany yes correct and there's a a joke among developers i mean they also apply to to product managers but i think uh, around agile coaches is even worse that they say that they don't do anything hmm. and for me personally i've never worked with a with an agile coach, so I'm a bit ignorant in that sense. Uh, what does an agile coach actually do? It's a very interesting question. Uh, doesn't do anything, right? <laughs> That's what my, developers my colli- say. My colli- they also say that the product managers don't do anything. Yeah, so. My colleagues were always telling me the only thing I do is drinking a lot of coffee because they always, <laughs> they always saw me drinking a lot of coffee um, with a lot of people. My definition of Agile coach nowadays is a bit different than if you would ask me a couple of years ago. Um, I, I see myself or I see it, Agile coach, in three different lines, okay? Right. And usually people don't, don't, don't distinguish, but the way how I see Agile coaching nowadays, 
they are three lines. Mm-hmm. First of all, organizational and methodology. Okay, so an agile code that focuses so on the organization. The structure of the organization. Yeah. Right. So the structure of the organization, the methodology is making sure that the organization is designed the right way, working with the executive level to change and transform the organizational design. That includes also like the processes, the communication exactly. channels. Exactly. Right? Okay. And and that's now looking back, it's very interesting. So that's where I spend most of my time in mm-hmm. my career okay so that's that's the one so organizational change organizational change so as a scrum master i was always focused on the teams helping the teams to be, get better mm-hmm. helping the teams to, to 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 glue building the teams and then later on the organizational change the organizational design making sure that we were very efficient effective as a as an organization so that's one level the second level is something that is very rare and is very needed, which is the part of the product. So very mm-hmm. few Agile coaches actually understand anything about product because a lot of Agile coaches come from the technical background like I did or they focus on the process like I did, but mm-hmm. very few actually understand product. And right. that's why I believe product skills are so, how should I say, not abundant, let's say. Okay, mm-hmm. there is a lot of product managers, but I don't believe there are a lot of people helping those product managers to succeed. That's my job, my 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 Your opinion. Goal. I have mm-hmm. a couple of friends that they are, or now they are consultants, but they were agile coaches. They were always focusing on helping the product owners to look at the backlog, to help them to build the product discovery part, to integrate mm-hmm. the product discovery with the, with the normal product right. development. So to help, help build this this structure around yes. the. So not only to focus on delivery, but also yes. have time for discovery. The delivery, it's easy because mm-hmm. the delivery, it's, um, you know, it's there for so many years. Scrum, Kanban, Agile, yeah. it's there. It's it's it's, it's, more it's not difficult, more. right? So it's already for 20 years. So mm-hmm. continuous delivery, pipelines, et cetera, et cetera. That's part so easy. Yeah. But it's if proven you don't know, that it works that way. Yeah. And I have a really good friend of mine, Gerard. That he, he, he has a saying that is very interesting. It says that all this delivery agility part doesn't have a brain, right? So if you put crap in the beginning, you get crap at the end. Yeah. So it doesn't have brain, but it delivers very fast, right? The problem is, what do you put in the beginning so that you get business impact? And that's the problem that a lot of agile coaches don't don't look at. Agile mm-hmm. coaches just look to they the... They just try to optimize the machine. The machine, but, but they don't have the brain. Put the brain there. Yeah. Right? So... Looking at the brand is very, very, very important, right? Mm-hmm. Not telling you the machine is not important. Of course, you need to be able to put stuff fast in the market. But if you don't have the brain, you will put crap on the market. And you can become very good at put crapping and the ma- crap on the market. Yeah. And you can even go bankrupt because you are very good at put ca- putting crap on the market. Mm-hmm. So it's something that you should be very careful. So the second, the second agile coach is someone that helps to establish the product organization, right? right. Mm-hmm. So pairing with the chief product officer, with the product management department, etc., etc. And then there is the third, the third agile coach, which is what my, what I see my, as I see my my business partner Mari doing, which is the technical part, right? right. So helping mm-hmm. the developers to apply all the techniques and the nice principles, building the whole continuous delivery pipelines, mm-hmm. all the nice DevOps stuff, all the pair programming, all the unit testing, all test-driven development, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So this mm-hmm. is when people ask me what does a, what's the job of an Agile coach is, is a very big job. Mm-hmm. Therefore, I, I consider there are three different layers or levels right, or right. tracks, as you want to call yeah. it. So 
from what I see, like the first part is like the basic of what a Nigel coach does. And then the second and the third that you mentioned are like what a really good Agile coach does. does no, not, not necessary because my, 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 my partner he doesn't know much about the process. He does not know about the structure. He's mm -hmm. really focused, guaranteeing the quality is done in oh, a really, technical really good side. way. Okay. Right. Mm -hmm. and, and, and the product guy is might be very good in, in, in strategy, business models, but is not so good as implementing or putting the organization. I, I don't think that one or another it's it's basic, right? Or mm -hmm. or or, or uh, um, requirement because I'm mm -hmm. not great in, in or I'm not great. I'm, I'm I, I suck at um, at the technical part. I'm not that great on the product, so I know my stuff. But when I really need help, I, I will call my friends mm -hmm. and my mm -hmm. colleagues. But on the organization, it's where I spent 20 years. So right. I don't I don't think that it's one or another. I think yeah. there are three different tracks. And, yeah. and every company one agile needs, coach every, can be stronger in one yeah, of those. Exactly. Right. Okay. So mm -hmm. I think every company needs to have these three tracks, mm -hmm. right? And 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 they are so big that you cannot be yeah. good at more than one, in my opinion. Yeah. Right. Right. How would you make the case for a company that they need to hire an agile coach? When when are what are the signals that it's time to hire someone to help on this? Well, size is, 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 is one of the things. I don't know. I'm just my, my gut feeling, right? When you start to have 50, 100 developers company, mm -hmm. things start to get really tricky. Yeah. And it's, it's where I, I kind of get asked as well sometimes to help. It's when the company starts to scale. Yeah. And then. You started to apply the old principles. The previous processes don't work, don't don't work, work anymore. anymore. Mm -hmm. And they will apply what everyone else applies with functional department. Then they hire a bunch of layers of VPs and a bunch of layers of different departments and mm -hmm. so on. And then when the mess starts to happen, yeah, right? So then I think an agile coach is a pretty good way mm -hmm. and solution to start to help to build. I hate the word, but I think people understand to help the company to build a proper governance model for, mm. for the entire product right. development. Right. So after those experiences as Agile coach for these big companies, um, in 2016, you shifted from working for like full time for one company at a time to creating your own consulting company, Evolution for All, correct? Yeah. What was the reason behind that decision? What was the trigger? I mean, you already had that uh, entrepreneurial mindset and the idea that at some point you would create your own thing, but what was the trigger to create it at that moment? The trigger was very, I, I think was the best trigger that you can have. So all of the check was my last company. And basically I remember I told my boss at that time saying, Timo, we did such a good job, I'm bored. Um, it's time for me to, to do something else. And I think my knowledge would be beneficial for a bunch of other companies. So I will pursue my own, my own uh, career at, uh, as an entrepreneur. It was, it was not because, as I said previously, it was not because of my problem with authority, because actually Tim was my best boss and he was a guy telling me or telling me, yeah, telling me. If you need money, come to me or the rest. It's, you can do it whatever you want. Um, so it was really because I, I, I thought I can have a bigger impact in the world. 
mm-hmm. and I, I I wanted the freedom, right? So I wanted to say that when I can when I can work, when I have my free time, etc., etc. So was mainly about freedom. Cool. And what were the main challenges setting up your first company? Sales. That's actually mm-hmm. something that I a couple of people asked me a couple of weeks ago. Uh, my I'm planning to do a webinar about the, the challenge that I had on my entrepreneurial journey. Mm-hmm. So and that's something that's some that's an experience that you never had before of selling something. Well, I was very good at established relationships, and I'm very good at established relationships. But one mm-hmm. thing established relationships, another thing is selling it, right? Yeah. Um, so it's not the same. Yeah, so uh, it helps tremendously, of course, but it's not mm-hmm. the same, especially in Germany where I don't still still don't speak German. So mm-hmm. Germany is a land of opportunities if you learn, if you know German. So yeah. there's so much work. So you struggled a bit to connect with the local companies there? Yes, local companies. And then a lot of companies actually were interested in my work, but because I could not speak German, I could not mm-hmm. um, help, help them. So and still today, it happens. I have really big companies talking sometimes with me. In Germany, but they want me. They don't want just some some other person. So I don't speak German, mm-hmm. even if nowadays I can provide people that speak German. But still, it's it's a problem to have a, a strong brand in, in connected to your company. Mm-hmm. Um, but the 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 sales part, lead generation was the the, the toughest one. Right, and mm-hmm. it still is, I think, um, for every every company that starts. I think that's the biggest mistake. And when you are a software engineer, you think, oh, I will do a really cool software and people will come or I will mm-hmm. be a very good consultant, people will come. No, they will not come. Yeah. And what were you doing in the beginning? So now you have a more established process. You have like a lot of content that attracts people to you that you can then like use those leads and drive them through the mm-hmm. funnel until they become clients. But back then, when you started, how were you reaching out? So it was actually the same. Um, now I have a much, much more structured process and mm-hmm. I have a team to, to do it. But I started blogging in 2012. Okay. So since very early, I started to produce a lot of content. So mm-hmm. time to time, I do very polemic blog posts and those blog posts bring me interested people. So mm-hmm. from really the beginning, most of my sales were coming <laughs> from, uh, from your blog, from my blog. Mm-hmm. So my blog That's alone, cool. my blog now, the company's blog. Mm-hmm. I can easily say that it generate me more than 1 million euros in, in revenue. Just a blog alone by itself. Mm-hmm. Cool. And then I guess you started building that up like to... Uh, yeah, now it's a very thing. professional thing, right? Mm-hmm. So, and, and I have my vision in 2025 to have the biggest ecosystem for helping people to move from project to project. Mm-hmm. Um, right. So that's my big, big, big ambition making a really strong blog, mm-hmm. a podcast as well, and, and right. webinars, books, etc., etc. And from where did you get that inspiration? Because like now this uh, creator economy, it's super mainstream, let's say, like everyone has a, a podcast and everyone's writing a blog or posts on LinkedIn. But back then it was not that common, right? It was Who not that you common. you got the inspiration from? I got an inspiration from an ex-colleague of mine where he was writing and I, I I just wanted to find a way to capture my ideas 
And I thought if I'm having those ideas, most probably others are having Someone the same ideas and the same interested. problems. Right. So I started to, to, to work it. I started in Avira. When I was in Avira, I started to work and every day I had new different challenges. So every week I was, I, I wrote a, a blog post about my challenges and people right. really like it. And so of course the engagement at that time was much, much higher than today. Because as you said, everyone not today, so much yeah. competition. Yeah. 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 Today, today everyone writes a blog post and so on. A lot of the stuff is crap, mm-hmm. but it doesn't matter. It's, it's noise out there. But I got, I got that idea in 2012. Where where I think what well, I'm, I'm having this problem, most probably a lot of other guys are having this problem. So that's how I I started. And then the blog was interesting because I was writing about retrospectives. And then Ben Ben Lindas was reading my blog and said, "By the way, I I'm going to write a book about retrospectives. It would be interesting to write a book with you." So that's even the the blog was the beginning of my entire career or the explosion of my career, let's say. Cool, creating content was yes. the key. Yeah. Cool. Um, before we jump to more details about your methodology and your books and so on, who is someone that you look up to in business? Someone that you have as a inspiration or a role model? Well, to be honest, um, I, I don't look, and, and, and this might sound arrogant, but it's not arrogant at all. Mm-hmm. I don't look at anyone in specific. Mm-hmm. Um because a lot of people say Elon Musk or Steve Jobs or whatever. And mm-hmm. first of all, they are in a completely different business than mine. Yeah. Right. And uh, they are great business guys, but as persons, I really don't admire them at all. Mm-hmm. So I know a couple of people that was directly with Steve Jobs in, in <coughs> Silicon Valley. And he was the first one telling me that Steve Jobs is an idiot. Elon Musk is is not the most intelligent he is but he's not the most empathic guy just just need to look what he's doing with twitter right now mm. so i don't think that they are the guys to to follow right, right? I mean, there, um, maybe there are some ideas and some yeah, approaches that they right. have that are interesting so they but, are genius mm. in making money definitely they are genius in doing something yes yeah. but that's not and then sounds a little bit strange or maybe but that's not the 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 thing that you the dent for. that I want to leave in the universe, right? It's not what I want to leave behind. I, mm-hmm. I prefer to have a small business that I can live my life in a comfortable way. Mm-hmm. But the people that work with me, I can impact them in a very positive way, right? So mm-hmm. one of my coaches, some time ago, asked me, "When you die, what do you want to have in your, in your what's the the tombstone?" Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. And 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 I don't have a, a exact answer, but it's something like this. Is a guy that helped me and helped my family, all this kind of stuff. So I'm much more, mm-hmm. I'm much more interested in impacting people around me than really create a world change transformation, mm-hmm. right? Um, of course, I go a little bit further because this this 2025 idea of my ecosystem and, and, and doing this project to product is my crazy idea of maybe this 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 methodology that we'll talk soon about it mm-hmm. will be the most used methodology to help companies to transform themselves but i don't look at at anyone i try to look at myself and think what can i do tomorrow that i did not do today and, mm-hmm. and try to become better myself i try not to compare to anyone because everyone else everyone has its own journey mm-hmm. right so it doesn't make sense to for yourself to compare yeah. If you are yeah. comparing yourself with Elon Musk, you would spend your time completely frustrated. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So you're more about like 
taking inspiration from a little bit from this, a little bit from that, then looking at someone and I want to be this. It's I, like you are you. Yeah. So maybe. I had a discussion last week with a friend of mine and I told him, is any way that I can start to go to your mastermind because you have companies that are in the stage where I want to have mine. So I really mm. would love to get some ideas from you and start to learn. So I, I like to be the most stupid, dumbest person in the room. That's the right. only way for me to, to grow. Mm-hmm. Um, if I feel too comfortable, then I think that's not the right place for me. Right. And and to be honest, I'm lately I, I help a lot of people, but I'm I'm kind of missing time where I'm learning with others. Mm-hmm. So what I'm trying to trying to do is exactly what you said. I'm trying to look to people that are ahead of me, close mm-hmm. friends, and they are not. They don't need to be public figures. Uh-huh. Yeah, but uh, take some ideas and get some help and in, in increase cool. little by little, little by little, little by little. That's that's how mm-hmm. I see it. Nice, cool. Let's uh, get into the the adapt methodology um, for the people that have never heard about it. Can you how briefly come? explain it? This is a scandal. <laughs> There may be one or two yes, that, exactly. that never heard. So adapt methodology came out in a very interesting way. So. Um, During all my entire career until 2020, as I said, I was focusing, I focused a lot on the organizational part, structure transformation. Mm-hmm. And then I wrote in 2018 uh, the, the, the organizational mastery book, which is a, a product, digital product development blueprint so that people, companies that want to develop digital products, they can follow that blueprint and they have pretty cool results. Mm-hmm. But at some point I felt something was missing, right? I never got completely happy because I wanted an holistic approach to build a digital product company. And the book was just touching the organizational part, the transformation part. Mm-hmm. So that was always missing, right? So I started to think a lot what what could be done. And when COVID came in 2020, we got the first lock lockdown. And I thought, hmm, maybe... There are two choices. I get fat like everyone else will be, <laughs> or I write another book. So then Adapt came came to the market, right? Um, at that time, uh, I was very focused on digital transformation. Okay. So Adapt, when it came, even the book Adapt, it's very focused on digital transformation. It's a framework for digital transformation. Yeah, it's a framework for digital transformation. But then I started to receive a lot of feedback from the market mm-hmm. and... I want a digital transformation, but for, for software development companies. And a lot of people believe they are digital and they don't need any digital transformation. But I disagree completely. If you look at the big banks, they do software, but they are far away from being digital, right? Mm-hmm. So for me, digital or being completely optimized for digital era, you need to follow the five pillars of ADAPT right. approach. It's not just having a website or yes. an app. So it's... you need to have these five pillars of ADAPT, <clears throat> which is approach. So how you generate an entire sales funnel Mm -hmm. for your digital product, data, so how do you actually take care of all the data and generate huge insights for your product, A, agility, so how you implement agility in your company, Uh P, digital product strategy, which is everyone, which everyone misses because a lot of people, yesterday I saw a a letter or an article from Gartner Mm -hmm. where it says, oh, a lot of people is still investing millions in technology but they don't get the the revenue up yeah because they are investing technology a lot of people believe digital transformation 
is buying systems and technology, which is not, it's the product part, mm-hmm. in my opinion. Well, yeah. it's all these five pillars, but for me, one of the biggest impacts yeah, yeah. is the, dis- the business model, the, yeah. so the P, and that is the transformation. So how the heck are you designing a company and for the, the digital how, era? How do you take action, right? The, 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 that last pillar is more about on how to implement. Yeah, so mm-hmm. the, the last pillar is really, it's the most, let's say, I don't want to say it's the most practical one, but it's the one that requires the biggest change because it's the one that you are really changing the organizational design and you're doing a lot of it's 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 the transformation pillar is actually the organizational mastery book so it's a it's the whole blueprint so it's actually how you put the company up and working Mm -hmm. with the right structure so the book was about digital transformation for software companies. But what I started to realize, and I got a lot of feedback from the market, is people that are looking for digital transformation are not really companies that are developing software, are more companies related with the manufacturing or more traditional business. And that's not definitely, even if the five pillars could benefit mm-hmm. those companies, it's not my market, right? right. So I, will start, I started to think a little bit, and then I started to realize, by coincidence or not, those five pillars actually, in my opinion, it's are the same five steps that you can apply in project-oriented company to transform them into or to adapt them into product organizations, product uh-huh. digital companies. And so adapt is now shifting, right? Because it's exactly the same pillars, it's exactly the same methodology, but the focus, and I think it will stay there because it's much more, it's it's a niche, but it's it's more much more specific. And I think it's much more useful mm-hmm. uh, as a methodology to adapt project-oriented companies to product-centric companies. Right. So from project to product. Yeah. That's a, that's a big one and a big topic of this mm-hmm. podcast as well. So let, let's dive a little bit deeper. Regarding the, the product pillar, what's your approach to implementing a product-led mentality? Because I think it's very much a matter of changing the mentality especially of upper management that they have a very top-down project mindset and you have to change this mentality somehow so there are several steps but but for me the first one is the mentality and if the person doesn't really want to change Mm -hmm. and he believes that project is the way to go i think there is not it's a lost battle yeah so you know when oh how do you do it to convince i don't convince anyone right so Mm -hmm. if people don't want to change i'm not going to that battle so I, right. I can only help people that are already understood, okay, I want to go into a product, I just don't mm-hmm. know how to do it. But has right? it happened to you to be in a situation that like maybe, I don't know, a CPO brings you in to try to help change the mentality of the CEO, no, for example? No, 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 no. Mm-hmm. no. Usually we, we enter through the CEO. Okay, okay. Because what we need to change is much higher than just a product, right? The product is one pillar. So the CEO usually is the glue, mm-hmm. right? So that's how we, we enter. But right. there are a couple of things, and not even going to the business model. So business model is something that we we create awareness to them, but most of the companies, they don't want to touch on the business model, so we don't mm-hmm. go on there. But the, for me, the, the, the first part is the organizational design, okay? Mm-hmm. Because I truly believe the structure of the company leads to culture change, to mindset change, because the structure will lead, if you have a very matrix-oriented organization, siloed one, your mindset will be very focused on your own stuff. You will not really think about other people's 
problems if you design a company that's value stream oriented mm-hmm. so there is no much department there and you are thinking as a whole so i think that the the most important the way how we do it usually is we we try to identify products in within the company and there are always products and the way a lot of people ask me but what is a product and it's always a, a, a question that pop up in company i try always to identify products that have a business model behind to support it of mm. course a lot of times companies have internal products there mm-hmm. is no business model behind but if you think about it they don't have revenue but they are there to fulfill a, a need yeah. a customer so internal directly they they have indirectly they need to have a, 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 or they have a, a business model mm-hmm. right so we try always to identify what are the products that <clears throat> you, your company has and then we try to break all the silos and all departments instead of building a company around department you build a company around value streams with many startups so that's what organizational mastery the book tells you that's the, our transformation in, in in metro in germany where you actually have 2000 people and we break that company in, in 12 startups which mm. is start, which each startup has its own product and we right. define the structure for it value stream for it with the objective strategic objectives for it yeah each making one. it more agile with like yes and each each startup has its own head of products or the mini ceo of the company and with that i think you start to go more into a product because then you start to have more ownership of your own piece mm-hmm. uh, yeah. your own mini company your mini startup with okr strengthening the strategy to 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 operation building your backlog and with those pieces um i think it's always a good start okay do you think that structure that you did in that in that case study of breaking a big company into small startups quote unquote um is something that applies to most companies or it was very specific to that no case? i think a lot of companies especially the big ones they are always talking about scaling agility scaling agility mm-hmm. and for me that's a big bs because for me scaling it's first descaling and okay. break the complexity and start to identify small mini startups um that you can work on and then you can figure out a way to scale your business model um a lot of people will tell you but the cost will increase tremendously because basically you need to replicate a lot of know-how in different mm-hmm. startups yes but people need to be aware that you are in the digital era and you are optimizing your company for speed and velocity mm-hmm. your company design is sought in the industrial era where you are optimized for costs so with central teams supporting a bunch of other teams mm-hmm. so you have centralized costs versus value streams where you need to replicate people right. so that it's 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 one thing so Mm-hmm. people need to to take into consideration but in my opinion that's the way to go so you right. need so to you break this complexity in, you don't believe in safe uh, no i i so to, to, as a disclaimer i was a safe consultant mm-hmm. i took safe um and you saw that not working properly. no actually it's not true so for example in sap i was hired to implement safe there okay uh safe is a very good starting point in my in my opinion Mm-hmm. Safe helps you to actually identify the streams, help you to identify possible startups, 
Okay. So safe, it's not a bad approach so you see for the beginning. An intermediate step, something that yes. you like a stepping stone yes. to then yes. be truly yes. agile. The problem with safe is, in my opinion, is that most of the people that are safe consultants don't have a clue, and I don't care if people really get pissed off with me here. But they don't. They are not really knowledgeable about it. Mm. They took a bunch they of certifications. The... They took a certification and they follow yeah. the, the process because if you are really really good, you understand that safe. It's it's a step in the middle. So okay. you can do that, but then you need to have the know-how, the mindset to actually go one step further, really break the silos, really build mini startups, and then you don't need safe. Then you can just shut down safe at all for, for, for the company, but no one will do that. That's a cool one. So you recently started another company, uh, Deploy S, focused on software development. Uh, what was the need that you saw that made you go that way? Um, it's an interesting question because all my life I said that I will not build a software company because mm-hmm. I was tired of the of software. I like to work with software, but I did not want to work with software engineers. Mm-hmm. So I can talk about it because I was a software engineer and I know that's not an area that I really... They are not easy. I was not mm-hmm. easy. Um, but the business spoke louder so why did i start it because um for everywhere where i was going and especially even even in the adapt the part agility part there's one part which is technical excellence right and you cannot apply all the stuff that i talk without having a pretty good damn software engineer in place right right so I decided to open Deploy. Actually, Deploy is not even a company yet. It will be, but it's just a brand from Evolution. Mm -hmm. But I decided to open Deploy because first, the most basic one, there is a huge need for software development all over the world. So Mm -hmm. it's it's another another company to provide software development. It's a little bit different than most outsourcing partners because we have a very strong opinion that... um, we need to provide, and that's what we do. We need to provide only engineers that have more than 10 years of experience. That was the okay. feedback that we got from several customers. And now that's what we are doing because mm-hmm. they say, you know, your your engineers are very good because they come into the process or the project or the product. And a couple of days they are already producing and solving very complex problems. So, mm-hmm. yes. So it's a super experience. Super experience. And, 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 um, and I'm very picky on that one. So a lot of people are coming up, but I, we have eight years, nine. No, it's 10 hmm. because okay. I really don't want to. We even use it almost as a brand when okay. we sell it to customers. It's a decade period. And you might tell me, oh, but there are five people, five, five years, five years people that are very good. I don't care. Mm-hmm. Okay. So at least 10. Okay. Um, that's, that's one. Um, and then. I realize that it's not enough only to provide software developers. We need to build a whole technical organization around. And a lot of people believe they have a very good technical organization, but they don't have because... Mm -hmm. uh, So also have the part of helping the companies establish their DevOps, their things around... Yes, so that's the part. So all the technical, all the the training... Infrastructure. Infrastructure, continuous delivery pipeline, um, best practices for agility, TDD, all that that stuff, okay? okay? Mm -hmm. And and why we did that? Because it's a complement 
for for adapt mm-hmm. right how and do you balance and maybe cross sell these these two so it's 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 easy because um i i'm still not the 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 knowledge guy so knowledge guy is mario my colleague but i'm still the one having the the the, the, the contacts i'm the pr let's say both of companies mm-hmm. so it's very easy when someone approach me for outsourcing which is happening right now a lot of some companies are approaching me in outsourcing and i see that the product or the the product organization is completely messed up mm-hmm. so it's very easy by the way we have this workshop how about if we could help you to do this 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 because you have these problems it's a good thing if you entering as an outsourcing partner it's very easy for you to understand how the product organization is working and you can do a cross sell with Mm-hmm. very detailed knowledge how the yeah. company works right mm-hmm. at the same way if you are helping the other guys with building the digital product company if you notice that they are not fast or they they are having some strategic goals that are not met because they didn't have the cap- capacity it's very easy for us hey we have another brand mm-hmm. and we can help you to stuff people yeah. or we can help you to build a proper organization so that's that's pretty much why That's we cool. did it. And from what I we talked even before this this podcast, I see that you you have it very clear that those are two complementary services that are not overlapped. So with Adapt, what you're doing is making sure that you're like delivering the yeah, the so, right thing, yeah. and with Deploy is more like deliver the thing, whatever it is that comes in, yeah. it will come out the other way, fast, yes. efficient, and in a yes. good way. So the Adapt is is the company structure so it's how you build a digital product company the deploy yes it's the company to help you to deliver whatever mm-hmm. your company wants to to build yeah. so okay if you want to deliver a shitty idea deploy yes will still deliver it yes in a very you, good way in a very good way deliver a shitty idea in a very shit. fast pace <laughs> yes cool cool that's interesting um yeah so of course you see this cross-selling opportunities both when you are developing software with deploy you see that the product organization is not working properly and the other way around you see that they're yeah. not delivering so you help with yeah and adapt mm-hmm. adapt is built in a way so I, I built adapt really thinking in a modular way but i i built adapt thinking that actually can be an ecosystem of companies so if you think about it uh, agility transformation could be a company deploy is part of the agility but i've been thinking in doing a, a small maybe next year or whatever, a consulting company just specific on product strategy. Another company for the approach pillar, which is a complete company solution to build your sales funnel for digital product, marketing, but much more than marketing. So all content strategy, lead generation, sales, and, Mm -hmm. and, and so the whole entire sales funnel for your digital product. So and and of course another data the, the the pillar data could be a data science company or whatever right yeah. so it was yeah. very modular the way how I saw it so cool. that you can just open new companies because after I know myself after three four years doing the same stuff I get very bored <laughs> I need to do you something need to else find something new. I need to 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 get a new toy to play around so that's how I I did it actually you you are actually already touching a little bit on this question uh, so you got ahead of my question but how do you see the the company's growing do you see it staying more as a boutique consulting yes. that you like you give the face to the clients or do you consider growing it bigger like hiring consultants to no. to also so 
the the that's a very interesting question the way how i want to do it even if i grow uh, there is there is two ways right so i can grow it inside of adapt okay and i can grow it with these companies that i'm telling building a second deploy third deploy or whatever right mm-hmm. um and i will grow it in both ways but i will never grow it my vision is and i cannot say never is a very strong word but i don't see the company becoming bigger than 50 20 people okay each company mm-hmm. maybe deploy is different because deploy is a completely different business model mm-hmm. it's staffing people so it might be different mm-hmm. but um i don't see it because i want to become stay a boutique now you ask me how do i scale it first of all i'm not very interested in doing millions and billions mm-hmm. but still there is a business model that we are going to implement within the next year and the next two years which is an adapt methodology workshop. It will be, it's already trademarked. So I will license the workshop. Mm-hmm. So basically I will open the workshop for consultants that believe in the methodology, believe that it's a good methodology to help companies to move from project to products. Mm-hmm. So I will train consultants all over the world that they mm-hmm. want to, that want to deliver mm-hmm. that workshop in that way. We can scale the business without scaling or without growing the company itself mm-hmm. so we mm-hmm. grow in with the partner network uh, so you see it more as like these these consultants will be doing their work they can use your thing but they will not, not be part of the, yes correct the correct mm-hmm. so i i really believe that more and more people will go as a freelancer right but uh, i was a freelancer i know how difficult it was so we talked already on this podcast the lead generation part is very hard mm-hmm. so why not Helping freelancers, there are so many agile coaches, very knowledgeable guys that are very good, but they don't have the sales pipeline. Uh-huh. If they would have a methodology that is used all over the world, that is known, it would be much easier for them to, to get. actually get business, mm-hmm. right? So why not allowing them to use, of course, with licensing fees, etc., etc., but why not allowing them to take part of a bigger ecosystem mm-hmm. where okay. they could deliver their knowledge, but having a, a, a methodology that is proven, cool, supporting cool. them. All right, uh, we are already more than one hour through, so let's get to some of our final questions. Let's go. What is something about the software industry that has surprised you lately? Can it be in the wrong way, on the bad way? Yeah, definitely. I'm very shocked and I'm being very specific, but I'm very shocked with the amount of money that we pay to software developers that do not have any experience. Hmm. So I see that in Portugal, for example, I see people with two, three years of experience asking 80, 90 K a year and man, they don't deserve it. Hmm. Sorry. I think it's, there is a huge bubble um, on the market. Too much demand. There is too much demand, but I believe this will end up very bad because the systems and the software these guys are producing, it's, I mean, it's impossible. You need to have several years to produce some stuff. Of course, you might have people in the company doing right architecture and so on, Mm -hmm. but I see salaries too high for the, for, for, for for what they, they, they deserve. Yeah. That's that's interesting. I mean, it's a great opportunity for software developers to take advantage, let's yes. say, of that bubble. But yeah, it's worrisome that, like, for instance, uh, someone out of college with zero experience will be earning like 
maybe 10 times what someone in a lead position in marketing or yes. product or sales will be making. Yeah. Yeah, that's crazy. Um, but yeah, w another question. You already touched a little bit on, on that before when you're talking about what you'd like to, to have in your tombstone. Um, but how would you like to be remembered? Do you think about what your legacy will be? I'm very focused. A lot of people ask me, what kind of business do I have? And a lot of people think that's a boutique management consulting. And it is at the end. But I do that to help leaders to get a bigger impact. Right? Mm -hmm. So I do that because I like to work with entrepreneurs. And that's why I prefer to work with owners of companies than, 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 than CEOs. Of course, I work with CEOs that did not have ownership in the company. It was fantastic. Mm -hmm. But I like to work, let's put it in a more general way, entrepreneurs. And you right. can be a CEO, not owning the company, still being an entrepreneur. Because I I believe that for you to have an impact, you need to connect with them. And I really want to help entrepreneurs to succeed. So what right. I actually want to do is, is leave a legacy that I help tremendous leaders to have an impact and I think this is, it can have a ripple effect because if you are an entrepreneur, if you have a company of 200 people and if you actually change the way how your company works and you do really good products, mm -hmm. you do really good, you start to getting really good money, you can get and give a lot of good conditions to everyone in your organization. Yeah. So it's not just about leaders or changing the companies. I see it in a much more, in a bigger scale. Yeah, if I help leaders, you're... they can build companies, they can build companies, they can give really good conditions and I can help, help thousands societies. of societies. Yeah. yeah. So I can help thousands and thousands of people all over the world to actually have a better job or a better life or a better mm -hmm. or conditions. better products in general. Yeah, mm -hmm. exactly. So for me, it's not condition, it's not um, sorry, consulting. It's mm -hmm. much more helping the society to drive to, to, to drive. Mm -hmm. That's cool. And what advice do you have for young professionals starting their careers in tech or in business? Never allow the boss to tell them what they need to learn or not to or not learn. That's mm. what I always did. And it was the best thing I could ever done. A lot mm -hmm. of bosses wanted to tell me what I could yeah, learn and what I could not learn. Mm -hmm. Right. And, and, and of course that demands that you spend money. So, so many bosses told me, no, I'm not going to pay this training. It's okay. I'll pay with my own money. And they mm. were getting really pissed because See. they thought that, uh, okay, this guy will not pay, so I will control what he can learn or not. Yeah. But that's the, the key, right? So invest a lot in your own education. And I'm not talking about university. Of course, university is good to start your career, but never, never stop learning mm -hmm. because knowledge is power, right? And in the internet, you have so many things, but really invest time to learn mm. in a way that you can offer something that no one else can offer. If you are in this position, cool. you will always have work. You will always have a safe position. Right. That's a very good, very good piece of advice. All right. Um, last three things. What are your three favorite books? Mm, good question. Um, I love one from Deming. It's a very, very old book, almost 40 years old book, Out of Crisis. Out of Crisis. Yes, mm -hmm. Edward Deming. This guy was the one that was a guy that was kicked out of US after the Second World War. 
then you went to Japan and helped Toyota to produce the Toyota manufacturing system. And that book is still a Bible. This should be a mandatory reading for every manager in a company. I love is I read the book like five times. It's how to make friends and influence people. Mm -hmm. Dale Carnegie. Yeah. Dale Carnegie. I don't have one specific, but I, I love the books from Napoleon Hill. Okay. All of them, I, I cannot say one single one, but most mm -hmm. of Napoleon Hill books are brilliant, brilliant, brilliant. Cool. So, um, from business point of view, okay, mm -hmm. from from leadership, etc., etc. So those are the ones. Cool. And what are your three favorite cities? Lisbon, Prague, Kiev. Cool. Three favorite podcasts. Do you listen to podcasts? Um, I don't listen so much podcasts, to be very honest. I produce one, as you know, mm -hmm. but I, it's something that I, I don't listen. Mm -hmm. um, okay. yeah. But I'm much more a book guy than a podcast guy. Right. I think everyone has his own way, way of consuming. Way of learning, yeah. yeah, because mm -hmm. I like to, and I don't like digital books. I like the physical ones because I like to scratch and take notes, mm -hmm. right? So this is my way of consuming information. So I prefer books and I read a lot cool. of books. I try cool. to read a book per week. Cool. If you want to, to try some podcasts, I recommend the Productized yes. slash Product Weekend podcast. There are I will. quite some Special interesting this episode. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, right. Uh, Luis, thank you so much. Uh, last but not least, where can people find you online and where they can find your content? The easiest one is uh, LinkedIn. Mm -hmm. So there's plenty of Luis Gonçalves on, on, on LinkedIn, mm -hmm. but uh, if you look for Luis Gonçalves and adapt methodology, I'm pretty sure you will mm -hmm. find it pretty easily. Uh, you can follow the adapt methodology on LinkedIn and you can find me as well or adaptmethodology.com and you have everything there. So mm -hmm. there's plenty of ways to, to follow me. Definitely right. LinkedIn is the easiest mm -hmm. one. For people that want to read your book, Is it possible to get it yeah, online? Yeah, methodology.com and you have everything there. Slash mm -hmm. book, but you have the, the stuff there. Cool. Amazing. Great conversation. Thank you so much. Thank you. It was a pleasure. <laughs>